Okay. Our passage says, uh, I'll give you the sure mercies of David. Uh, the, the everlasting promises I promised to David. And my question today is, who needs them? I mean, the man died 3,000 years ago. What good? What good does it do us to remember David? So I want you to do this. I want you to think of people you know. Think of some normal, uh, intelligent, capable person you know and uh, who's not a believer in Yeshua, doesn't read the Bible. Do you think they're going to think that uh, this guy, David, who, uh, who died approximately 3,000 years ago, that he has anything really of value to contribute to their lives? Hmm. I don't think so. Why should we care about a poet warrior king who died 3,000 years ago. You know, we who are believers in Yeshua, we who are people who are biblically oriented, we have a responsibility to at least attempt to convey what we believe and what we believe to be true. We have a responsibility to at least attempt to convey it to people around us we're not meant to just form a club uh, that never grows, uh, where we just look at people who don't believe as we do as the great unwashed. No, we need to attempt to make what we believe winsome and attractive. So why should we, why should they, why should anybody care about a poet warrior king who died 3000 years ago? Here's what our Haftarah said in part. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money? For what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight in abundance. Pay attention and come to me. Listen and you will live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. The promises are assured to David or the sure mercies of David. But ladies and gentlemen, he's dead. So what do we do with that? As we go into today's lesson, we need to go to the roots of, the, of, of our particular philosophy of life. And the roots of the philosophy of life of most people around us. Is life just a matter of random occurrences that somehow collide with one another and produce results like pinballs that are going at random in a pinball machine and they, one pinball hits another and knocks it off to that bumper, knocks it off to that bumper. Is life a pinball game where it's just a dialectical relationship where one force bumps into another force, bumps into another force, bumps into another force, and we just have these, this random collection of occurrences. Is that what life is? Many people believe that's true. 
or is life directional? That's the question. Does life have direction? Does life have a designer? Does history have a designer and a director? That is a core question for us. When we talk to people about our faith life, they're operating in a different worldview, a dialectical worldview, where they feel that life has no real purpose. It just is. And things collide with one another and stuff happens. But we're obliged to believe that life is directional because we believe that life and history have that the roots, that's, that's why we have these roots up here, that at the root, our worldview is that history has a designer and a director, and therefore it has a direction. This is uh, Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Sachs, one of the brightest men I've encountered in my whole life. And he says there are really basically three questions in life. Who are we? Why are we here? And how then shall we live? And anything we say to people about our faith needs to address these issues. Who are we as human beings? Why are we here? And therefore, how shall we live? I want to give you just a, a sketch of three answers to that question. I want to talk about abundance because our passage talks about abundance. Yeshua talked about abundance. From our point of view, as people who believe that life has a direction and a director, we believe that the abundant life, number one, is life with God. Secondly, we believe that the abundant life is life in community. It is not good that man should be alone. This is not simply about marriage. It's about the fact that man is born. We're born to be a social, not just social, but familial being. We're meant to be in, in, in relationship and partnership and contact and the exchange of love and meaning with other human beings. So the abundant life is life with God. The abundant life is life in community and the abundant life is life with a purpose. Because if life has no real purpose, then what difference does it make? When I was 19 years old, 18 years old or so, before I came to faith in Yeshua, my philosophy was basically existentialist, although I had not read Albert Camus. I went to a shrink, name was John Brinley, and I told him, I said, I feel unplugged from life. I said, life, you have a certain amount of pleasure and a certain amount of pain, and then you drop dead. Some people have a lot of pleasure and very little pain. They drop dead. Some people have a lot of pain and very little pleasure. They also drop dead. So who can get excited about life? That's where I was. The abundant life is life with God. The abundant life is life in community. It's not good that we should live alone. And the abundant life engages with God's plan. It somehow is a life that latches on 
to the meaning that the designer and the director has in mind. So we're going to get at that and we're going to come back to our Haftorah, which is right smack dab in the middle of that. In order to understand what God is up to, I want to look at four covenants briefly. Four arrangements he made with seminal people in history that have implications for the entire human race. Abraham, Moses, David, and Yeshua. Let's begin uh, with the covenant with Abraham. You know the you know the drill. God appears to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern modern Iraq, and He says, "I want you to get out of your country, leave your father's house, go to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, uh, and all nations on the earth shall be blessed by you. I'll bless those who bless you; those who curse you, I will curse." And as I said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So he talks about a people. I'll make you a great nation. He talks about a place. Go to the land I will show you. He, says, he talks about protecting them, that he'll bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. He talks about provision. He's going to bless. Blessing is God's abundant provision. And he, and he has a plan for Israel and the nation says, I'll bless those who bless you, him who curses you, and I'll curse. And in you, and in your seed, and your people, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So that's God's covenant with Abraham. That's where the designer shows up and says, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Now, if God is going to make us into a great nation, a nation needs some things to function. And by the way, I never thought about this this way until I was talking with Elijah and Talia Siegel in a recent bar and bat mitzvah lesson. And it came home to me this way, and I think it's very important. If Israel is to be a great nation and a blessing to the world, a nation must have a constitution, a prescribed way of living together in the world with and for their God. So that's why we get to Sinai. At Sinai, God gives this people, this nation that he's creating for the blessing of the world, he gives them a constitution, a way of life. You can't have a nation without a constitution. Again, if Israel is to be a great nation and a blessing to the world, they must have a constitution, a prescribed way of living together in the world, for the world, with and for their God. So we have the Abrahamic covenant. God calls Abraham, and he gets this whole bowl rolling. When they get to Sinai, he gives this nation that he's forming a constituted way of life. Let's go on. Come on. Are you going to open up for me? There you go. Now we come to the covenant with David. That's the third covenant we're looking at. Abraham, Moses, and David. As a matter of fact, I'm going to find, we're going to do a little bit of reading. Hold on a second. Rather than put it all on an overhead slide, I put it, where are you? There you are, you little baby. 
Okay. Uh, a little background. In Second Samuel chapter 7, David has built himself a palace. It's made out of cedar wood, which is the most expensive wood available in the world at that time. It is truly a palace. He's very powerful. He's got everything he needs. And he says to Nathan the prophet, he says, he says you know, look, there's something wrong here. Here I am, I'm dwelling in a palace of cedar and the ark of God, the throne of God. I'm just the king of Israel. God is the king of the universe. His throne, the ark, is in a tent. I'm in a palace and he's in a tent. This does not write. So David says to, so Nathan says to David, you got a point. Go for it. Well, that night Nathan goes home and God comes to him. And he says to him, excuse me big shot, uh, uh, did I ever, did I ever complain about dwelling in a tent? He says, I want you to go back and talk to David. And he goes back and he tells David, thus says the Lord, God says, you know, did I, in all the time that I, uh, I, uh, I traveled around uh, 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 with your people Israel, did I ever complain about dwelling in a tent? No, I didn't. So why are you doing me a favor? And then he goes on and he says to Eli, to Nathan, the prophet, he says, say this, say this. Therefore, say to my servant David that this is what Adonai Tzavot says. Look, I took you from the sheep yards, from following the sheep. Now, I believe that God is saying, you know, and following the sheep is a messy matter. You're a shepherd, but following the sheep is messy. I took you from this this line of work, which is the lowest form of work in the ancient world. Uh, it was for little children and for senile old men. I took you from that kind of work to make you the chief over my people over Israel. I've been with you wherever you went. I've destroyed your enemies ahead of you. So like in the Abrahamic covenant, I've given you protection. He says, I'm making your reputation great, like the reputation of the greatest people on the earth. God says, I'll bless you. Those who bless you, he says, I'm going to make, says to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And God says the same thing to David. I'm going to make your reputation great, like the reputation of the greatest people on earth. I will assign a place to my people, Israel. Remember, God promises Israel a place. Here, God confirms it. Uh, through David, I will assign a place for my people to Israel. I will plant them there so that they can ha live in their own place without being disturbed anymore. The wicked will no more oppress them as they did at the beginning and as they did from the time I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. Instead, I'll give you rest from all your enemies. So again, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'm going to protect you. Moreover, I don't know. Now this is you got to realize he's talking to David as the king of this people that God has created to whom he gave this constitution. It says, moreover, Adonai says that Adonai will make you a house. David wants to make a house for God. But now God, being Jewish, uses a pun. And he says, uh, you want a house? I'm going to make you a house. But by that he means a dynasty. When your days come to an end, 
And you sleep with your ancestors, O David, who died 3,000 years ago. I will establish one of your descendants to succeed you. One of your own flesh and blood, I will set up his rulership, a throne, rulership, a dynasty and a throne. He will build a house for my name and I will establish his royal throne forever. Now, the person who builds a house for God's name is David's son, Solomon. But God says, I'm going to establish his royal throne forever. But Solomon also died. So what's this? We'll get to that. I'll be a father to him. He will be a son to me. Abundant life with God. If he does something wrong, I'll punish him with a rod and with blows, just as everyone else gets punished. Nevertheless, my grace will not leave him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Thus, your house, your dynasty, and your kingdom, your sphere of influence, your realm, will be made secure forever before you. Your throne will be set up forever. So although the descendants of David in the line of succession, when they sin, they're going to be removed, and they're going to die. Nevertheless, this dynasty lasts forever. This throne lasts forever. This realm expands forever. Nathan told David all these words and described his entire vision. It goes on. Then David went in and he sat before Adonai. This is really beautiful. David the king, he goes in and he sits down and he says, Who am I, Adonai Elohim, and what is my family that has caused you to bring me this far? Yet in your view, Adonai Elohim, even this was too small a thing. What you've already done for me uh, is, is incalculable. But even this was, you, you outdid yourself. So you've even said that your servant's dynasty will go on to the distant future. This is indeed a teaching from man, Adonai Elohim. The Hebrew was Vazot Torat Adam. That's grade school Hebrew. And this is the Torah of man. Or this is the charter for all humanity. Vizot Torat Adam. So here David is pointing to the fact that what God has just been talking to him about is part of God's game plan for all of humanity. So we're getting back to why should we bother uh, with David, this guy who died 3,000 years ago. It's getting more interesting. Let's pick up where we left off. So, we saw there in, all, in that covenant with David, by the way, if you want to read more about that covenant, that's 2 Samuel 7. Read Psalm 132 and Psalm 89. That song we did, David... Melech Israel, that's uh, based on Psalm 89. Psalm 132, Psalm 89, Psalm 72, uh, all touch on the Davidic covenant and other places too. Much, much, much. But we saw, talks about a people, about a place, about protection, about provision, about a plan for the world. So now God creates an, a, a people, a nation at Sinai. He gives that people a constitution 
in King David and his successors, he gives that people rulership and a king. So how is this relevant to us? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. David is the placeholder and the progenitor of Yeshua, the ultimate son of David, who is the leader who brings Israel and the nations to the fulfillment of their human capacities, the abundant life. David is the placeholder, the down payment, and he's the progenitor, the ancestor of Yeshua, who is the leader who will bring Israel and the nations to the fulfillment of their human capacities, the abundant life. So let's go on. So how is this all relevant to us? Good question. We don't rely on King David, who died 3,000 years ago. We rely on Yeshua, the son of David, who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, who reigns above with all things visible and invisible, subject to him. This reminds me of the sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 or 3 when he says, you know, the tomb of David is, David says, uh, David talks about eternal kingship. He says, but David is dead. His tomb is with us. He was not talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah whom God just raised from the dead here around the corner. You can go visit his tomb. So we don't rely on King David who died 3,000 years ago and who, by the way, lives in the presence of God. We rely on Yeshua, the son of David, who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. He is more alive than any of us are alive. He cannot die again. He reigns above with all things visible and invisible, subject to him. So here's a couple of passages for you to think of. Paul summarizes his gospel this way. Remember Yeshua the Messiah who was raised from the dead, who was a descendant of David. This is the good news I proclaim. You know, I often say that the church has forgotten what Pontius Pilate remembered. Pontius Pilate put over Jesus's body on the cross a sign that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The church has largely forgotten that he is the son of David. He's the Lord of the church, but they forget that he was the king of Israel. But Paul says, remember Yeshua the Messiah, the anointed one, the king who was raised from the dead, who was a descendant of David. This is the good news I proclaim. So you can see that our Haftorah takes us right into the heart of the good news. And in Revelation 22, we read this. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the Messianic communities. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. So in our Haftorah, we read this. Pay attention. This is what we do with it. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The promise is assured to David. 
the sure mercies of David. What should we do? We should pay attention to this and come to Yeshua, the son of David, and ask that this abundant life that God has been storing up since the beginning of history, of which he is the designer and the director, that by coming to him and asking that he would give this to us, he says, come and buy wine and milk without price. Come to the water and drink. We need to come to him and receive through Yeshua everything that he promised. So that's what you get out of a simple Haftorah today. And that's what I have to say. May God help us not to appear to be so irrelevant to the world around us that doesn't want to hear about a 3,000-year-old, about a king who died 3,000 years ago. Father, help us to be credible evidence that Yeshua is alive and help us by your spirit to make his life, his livingness, credible to a world that doesn't know its right hand from its left. Help us, we pray. And thank you for your holy and true word, which is rich beyond imagining. Amen. I think it's amen. Okay, any 